turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. We'll be reading the first 11 verses of Deuteronomy chapter 7. If you're looking in your pew Bible, you'll find this on page 252, continuing on to page 253. Page 252, continuing on to 253. It's on your large print sheets as well. Deuteronomy chapter 7, reading verses 1 through 11. Hear now the word of God. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. And he repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which I command you today to observe them. Well, beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, today we look again at the second commandment which, of course, as you know, has to do with graven images, not making them, not worshiping them, 
Um, but as we've already established, this has to do with something which is broader than simply making images. So we're prohibited to do certain things, but we are also required to do certain things, including, including making sure that we are worshiping according to God's commands. Now we know that we are to obey the, the law because God is the Lord and the Creator. We see that in terms of the preface to the Ten Commandments. We also know that we're to obey the law because we are, are his covenant people. He is our God, we are his. And thirdly, because he has shown us great favor in rescuing us from our own Egypt, which is, that is to say, the house of bondage to sin. And so we're to obey the law for those three reasons. The law, as we have noted, is spiritual. It has been given by the Holy Spirit. And so it's in a very deep way. It is spiritual, but it's spiritual in another way. And that is whatever is forbidden, the opposite is required and vice versa. And so it expands, as it were. There's an expansiveness to the requirement. And especially regarding the second commandment, the spiritual nature of God is emphasized because you can't see God and you don't worship him by means of images. We've already looked at the question as to how to divide the commandments. The Roman Catholics and the Lutherans combine the first two and divide the commandment against coveting. But in both Roman Catholicism and Lutheranism, there is a wrong view, a false view, of how to determine proper worship. And there is definitely the use, the practice of images. You can hardly have the second commandment read in a Lutheran or Roman Catholic church, not making any graven images when their churches are filled with statues. Now, in summary, then, we could say that the first commandment tells us whom we are to worship. The second, that's say the one true and living God, not a false God, not, not Allah, not Buddha, and so forth. Secondly, the second commandment says what is to constitute our worship, it is to be those practices, those elements, and they only, which God has commanded Thirdly, how are we to worship, as we'll see later, with reverence, with respect, not taking the name of the Lord our God in vain or anything by which he reveals himself? And fourth, when are we to worship? Well, it's on the Sabbath day, the Lord's day. Now, positively, we are to worship God, and in terms of worship, we see that worship is giving to God that which is due to him. It is giving to him that which is right, which is his right, and specifically, particularly, it is giving to God a hearing. We listen, we giving to God a hearing and responding to him in commanded acts of faith and love. So faith and love, but they are commanded acts, commanded actions. Worship, as we established, is special dialogical and prescribed. It is different. It's special from any other activity in this world. 
It is dialogical. It's in the form of a back and forth. Even children can understand who's speaking when the word of God is being read while God is speaking. Who is speaking when we pray while we are speaking back to God and so forth. It is dialogical and it is prescribed. It is according to God's prescription. God's having ordained it and written it out ahead of time. But having established what true worship is and the requirement to worship God in spirit and in truth, we note that we are also to support true worship and we are to be opposed to improper worship. We are to support true worship and we are to be opposed to improper worship. This also is a requirement of the second commandment. And so as we look at supporting true worship, I've uh, used this, uh, these initials here of MATS, M-A-T-S. So there are four aspects to this. Membership, attendance, tithing, and the supremacy of God's glory. Membership, attendance, tithing, and the supremacy of God's glory. Now, in terms of worship, let us be clear. The church is a worshiping community. It is both organism, it's, or it's, we're organically related to each other, and organization. And indeed, it needs your support and contribution. So the question here is, does the Bible teach the necessity of membership in the visible church? The answer is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. You remember the book of Numbers? Guess what that's about? It's about numbering people. That's why it's called the book of Numbers. It's about numbering people. Here are the folks that are part of the covenant community. They are all numbered. They are all accounted for, if you will. There is a a sense of of being accountable, of responsibility. You remember when we were looking at uh, the book of Ezra? In the book of Ezra, chapter 2, this would be another example of this. Ezra, chapter 2. The whole, basically, the whole chapter is a list of names. They're all numbered. They're all accounted for. Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Realiah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigvi, Rehum, and Bana, and so forth. And so there was a counting of the people. We find this also in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, you remember the great day of Pentecost. In Acts uh, chapter 2, we read in verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized, which is given to baptisms given to the visible church. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. So this is the normal expectation. It is the normal expectation to be numbered among the people of God in the visible church if you are a professing Christian. Public worship, furthermore, requires the visible church. The visible church must exist 
in order to conduct proper public worship. It doesn't just happen. There, the, uh, the visible church has to exist. But if no one is a member of the visible church, then doing so is impossible. Thirdly, you cannot fully participate in worship without membership. Baptism, which is the sign and seal of membership, must go before participation in the Lord's Supper. The sign, the ritual of entering the covenant, the visible covenant, must precede the ongoing sign, the sign of ongoing fellowship in the covenant. But baptism is administered by the visible church and implies becoming a member. The Bible knows nothing of this idea of people just willy-nilly getting baptized and not joining the church. There is no such thing in the New Testament. And fourthly, not only because the Bible speaks of numbering the people and public worship requires the visible church and you cannot fully participate in worship without membership, but fourthly, part of the obedience in order expected in order to participate in the Lord's Supper is submission to the elders. And so we read, for example, in Hebrews 13, in Hebrews 13 and verse 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Now as you think about it, and let me be perhaps a little humorous for a moment here, they, if you're going to be part of something, you have to join it. <laughs> unless, of course, unless, of course, it's the apathy club or the procrastination society. <laughs> but other than that, other than that, you join just whatever organization it is. You become a member. And so it is with the visible church. So membership, secondly, attendance. The Sabbath day is given, among other reasons, for public worship. This is the pattern. So this, this is why. I mean, we talk, well, Lord willing, we'll talk some months from now about the fourth commandment. And one of the chief reasons for it is for worship. This is why the Sabbath has been given to us. This is the pattern set for us by our Lord and all of the saints through the ages. According to his custom, his habit, Jesus went into the synagogue each Sabbath day. And so if we want to follow Jesus, we need to be in the Lord's house too. Psalm 122 verse 1 illustrates the pattern for the church in every age. I was glad, I was joyful when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Furthermore, we are commanded to assemble for worship. You may be familiar with, um, with uh, Hebrews 10 and verse 25. Starting in verse 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. 
The word there is the same word basically for synagogue, synagogue, the assembling of ourselves, not forsaking it, as is the manner of some. They had a problem back in the first century about church attendance, right? As is the manner of some. But exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We are commanded to assemble for worship. And this should include the entire covenant community, even infants. No children's church programs. So, furthermore, not only is it attendance, but participation is expected too, insofar as the worship is in accord with Scripture. Now, let's be clear. The church's concern about your attendance is not so that the church can act as Lord of your conscience, but it is so that you might be aware of the importance of worship. To neglect attendance at worship is to violate the second commandment. It is to be in danger of despising the weekly feast which the Lord spreads. I'm sure if someone invited you to a fancy restaurant, you'd say, well, thank you very much. I'll go. Well, we have something better than a steak, a T-bone, even southern barbecue. We have something better. And it is the feast which the Lord Jesus spreads for us as he does so based upon his sacrifice for us and administered by him who has risen from the dead and ascended into glory, it is that Lord in whose presence we have gathered. And to, it is when you neglect worship, it is to be in danger of despising the weekly feast which the Lord spreads. The guideline for knowing when an excuse for not attending worship is a good one is this. Would the emergency or the illness, whatever, have kept you away from any other normal activity, work, school, play, whatever it may happen to be. If so, then you can probably consider, consider that you were providentially hindered from attending church. And of course we understand people go on vacation. Because Penny and I occasionally go on vacation, very occasionally. We do go on vacation, but by the grace of God, we always try to be in the Lord's house when we're on vacation. So you don't always have to be here, but my friends, even if you're away visiting friends or family, you should be in the Lord's house on the Lord's day. Please note then that the church's concern is not only for you, but it is also for the glory of God and that he be worshipped. So membership, attendance, tithing, or tangible support. What is tithing? Why, it's giving 10% of your income. 10% of your income. We see this principle in Genesis chapter 14 with regard to Melchizedek, the king of peace, king of Salem, where Abraham gave him 10% of the spoils. And we read today from Malachi chapter 3, which is, of course, the standard, the standard um, uh, text 
uh, the classic uh, text on this, uh, on this matter, Malachi chapter 3, uh, starting in uh, verse 8, where we read, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. I've said before, I believe here, certainly in other contexts, that my mom never understood the Lord's arithmetic. My dad was a preacher. We weren't particularly rich by any stretch of the imagination, comfortably middle class. But with four children, four kids, uh, including myself, my mom used to say she never understood how we could make it on 90% of our income, whereas it would have been difficult to have made it on 100%. But you know, the Lord provides. The Lord provides. The late Jimmy Lyons, who was my favorite Choctaw Indian chief, He's the only Choctaw Indian chief I've ever known. He was a great guy, funny guy. He said, it's really easy to know how much your tithes should be. You know how you do it? You just put the decimal point one spot to the left, and there you are. There it is. That's what your tithe is. And so tithing then. Notice that the church cannot run without money. The church cannot run without money. And so there is a responsibility, if you want to support the church and its worship, to bring into the storehouse. And also, let me just say that tithing is a display of how much you value the worship of God. We we spend money on that which we value. We spend money on that which we value. How much do you value the worship of God? So membership, attendance, tithing, and the supremacy of God's glory. In other words, you should have a concern for the glory of God. And therefore, you should have a desire to see him worshipped and to be worshipped as he has commanded. So in other words, the support of worship that is in accordance with the word of God. Of God, the supremacy of God's glory. Maps. Membership, attendance, tithing, supremacy of God's glory. But now, secondly, this also, this also, this commandment also requires us to oppose false worship. To oppose false worship. In our attitude, we are to detest it. We are not to view it as, well, some people worship one way and some people worship another. In Acts chapter 17, when the Apostle Paul was in Athens, you remember? In uh, that great uh, pagan city in, in Athens, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was go- given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. And so 
his spirit was grieved by what he saw because he knew that God, the true and living God, was not being worshipped and certainly was not being worshipped as he had commanded. In Psalm 16, we find a similar expression. Psalm 16 and verse 4, where the psalmist says, David says, Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another god. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. So the attitude should be such that we, that we are not in favor of improper worship, but in our action, we are also to oppose it. Isaiah 30, Isaiah 30, verse 22. Isaiah 30 and verse 22. You will also defile the covering of your images of silver and the ornament of your molded images of gold. You will throw them away as an unclean thing. You will say to them, get away, defile them. And we see this also in Deuteronomy chapter 7, which was our other scripture reading for today. So as you look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, for example, you see verse 5, but thus you shall deal with them, that is to say with these pagan peoples, the Canaanites, you shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. Notice that the people of God, verse 6, were to be a holy people, a chosen people, in order to offer worship. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. It was because of that that they were not to let things hinder that. That's why verses 1 through 5, it talks about conquering and destroying these pagan peoples, making no covenant with them, nor showing mercy to them, not making marriages with them, their daughter to, your daughter to their son, their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. In verses 10 and 11, and he repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which I command you today to observe them. So we are to be then a holy people to offer worship and according to each one's place and calling to oppose false worship. Now you remember that in Exodus 20, in the, in the second commandment, Exodus 20, it gives this commandment and he says in verse 5, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. And so this gets us to consider the importance of keeping the second commandment. The second commandment is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Keeping it demonstrates love for God. You say you love God, 
then you need to keep his commandment. You say you love God, you need to support public worship. You need to be in church. Keeping it demonstrates love for God, not keeping it. Dear me, not keeping it shows the opposite, does it not? God is a jealous God who wants to be worshipped his way, not yours. Please, let us not have the audacity of playing God by telling him how he ought to be worshipped. This commandment has importance for families and children. Positively, according to the Abrahamic covenant, uh, Genesis 17, the promise is to you and your seed, to thousands of generations. That's what we find reflected here in Exodus 20. But negatively, the iniquity piles up. And there are patterns in terms of families. Not that God can't break those sinful patterns, but there are patterns where to the second, to the third, to the fourth generation, you see the sin that piles up in terms of those, for example, who neglect the ordinances of Christ. Let me also note in terms of the importance of keeping the second commandment that worship and salvation are linked to each other. The Bible everywhere condemns hypocrisy. So you could say, well, I'm going to keep the second commandment to the nth degree. I'm going to make sure we dot every I and cross every T. But yet, if your heart's not right and you're not living the way you ought to be, you're a hypocrite. So you need to be careful there, don't you? The Bible everywhere condemns hypocrisy. But my friends, Trinitarian salvation then is necessary for Trinitarian worship. You need the Father's forgiveness before you can come into his presence to worship and adore him. You don't approach the king without being invited. And your invitation is bloodstained. You have to have the Father's forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Therefore, you need the Lord Jesus. You need to be accepted in him who offered worship on behalf of his people before you can come in his name. You need him whose zeal consumed himself for the house of God. You need that Jesus who kept the second commandment, loved the second commandment, loved his father, submitted to his father and kept the commandment for you and me. And you need the Holy Spirit to give you a new heart full of praise to God before you can offer up spiritual worship. Well, I have three, two points of application. The first is this. Commit to worshiping God as he has commanded. Commit yourself to worshiping God as he has commanded. Get serious about this matter and not lackadaisical. I've probably already stepped on a few toes this afternoon. I'm going to step on a few more. You ready? Mother's Day. Father's Day. Juneteenth parades and celebrations. Super Bowl parties must not take the place of the worship of God. 
get serious about this matter. Resolve that you will attend church faithfully. It gives you an opportunity to remember God's goodness, his love for you. It enables you to rehearse his great acts on your behalf, acts of creation and redemption and providence, acts revealed in Jesus Christ. It allows you to be revived in your spirit when you've had a hard week and you come into the sanctuary of God. You're about ready to give up, but you come into God's house. As Psalm 73 says, then came I into the Lord's sanctuary. Then I considered, then I understood. It allows you to rejoice in what God has done. Rejoice in his, his acts. It allows you to repent. It, allow, it gives you the opportunity to turn aside from your sin. I've had a rough week. I've sinned. I know I've been displeasing to God. I can come now into his house and as we're led in prayer, I can repent. It gives you the ability to resist the world and the materialism therein. And again, it gives you the opportunity to rejoice in God because, my friends, worship is a taste of heaven. It's a taste of heaven. Just a taste. But if you're headed there, you want that taste. And so commit yourself to worshiping God and doing so as he has commanded. And then secondly, come into God's presence in the name of Jesus, trusting in his blood and imputed righteousness. We don't come in our own name. We come in Jesus' name. And if you haven't trusted in Jesus, then I urge you to get right with God this day and worship the sacrifice of praise that he desires. The second commandment has been called God's forgotten word. May it be forgotten no longer. Amen. Will you please stand for prayer? And Lord, we do pray that this message would be applied to our hearts. We pray, O oh God, that the Holy Spirit himself would take it and would enable us to see with the eyes of faith to see Jesus the Son of God, high and lifted up and interceding on our behalf. And so give us the grace, O Lord, to worship thee in spirit and in truth. May this message be a savor of life unto life for all of us here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.